Amen. If you're newer to North Sub, you'll learn that we have uh, these six core values. Let's see if I can pop them up here. Yeah. Um, and the one we're highlighting today as we launch our summer season is Courageous Outreach. Now, when we say go do outreach, we don't mean go beat somebody over the head with what you believe. Instead, what we mean is, hey, we, we're poor beggars who found some bread. And so let's have the courage to share that news with other poor beggars who are looking for bread. Right? And so here at North Sub, we're of the mindset, in other words, that we'd be jerks not to share our news. Uh, but we sometimes lack courage. And we lack love, if we're honest. So we need that little nudge from our church family from time to time to get out there and don't keep this news to yourself. So one way we've tried to make that easier over the last couple years is through what we've called the My Suburb Project. My Suburb Project is our attempt to take a church here where people drive here on Sundays from over 20 different towns. And let's go local with it. Let's make our mission concrete in particular neighborhoods with particular neighbors, right? In other words, this is our attempt to try to set each other up from time to time with just the others from the church who live in your town, uh, who shop at your grocery stores and send their kids to your kids' schools and check out books from your local library and get their coffee from your barista. And so at the outset of this summer, uh, we're mobilizing, remobilizing once again these precincts, so to speak, by encouraging you to schedule a meeting with those in your town to do some praying and some sanctified scheming about how you might partner together for some courageous outreach this summer. And a reminder of how we approached it last summer, here's the little graph we used from open to closed, from connected to bubbled. A reasonable goal, we said, that we can all hit over the course of a summer is to take one step up or one step to the right, right? One step up or one step to the right. If we're not around unchurched people all that often, then let's take one step up uh, by signing up for a league or inviting over some neighbors or volunteering with the Parks District. Let's take a step up by getting ourselves into warm relationships with unchurched folks in our communities. But if we're around unchurched people regularly, but rarely talk with them about things of faith, then let's initiate spiritual conversation. Let's take a step to the right by taking a risk and asking a deeper question than the ones that we usually ask. One step up or one step to the right. Either of those moves is made easier and more fruitful when we do it together with others who live in our same town or who frequent the same ice cream shops and play at the same playground. So if you live in Deerfield or Northbrook or Highland Park Highwood, New True Township, Glenview, Buffalo Grove, and you see an invitation come to your inbox soon for your next My Suburb Project meeting, that's what that's about. And uh, we hope you'll be able to join those in your town for that. Let's pray and open the word together. Lord, you're big and you love us, and that makes us glad. Now let the words that I say and let the thoughts we all think be pleasing in your sight. For Jesus' sake, amen. <clears throat> you know, when somebody has something to say to you, and you hear it, but you don't really want to hear it. And so you don't really hear it. Like, you're, you're not, you're just not in the mood to hear that. Not right now. Most of you know I was a high school teacher for five years, and I loved it, but there was plenty that my students didn't want to hear from me. 
Like they heard me, but at times they made it clear to me that they weren't pleased by what they were hearing. And I loved one of the phrases they used to use to communicate this to me. They'd say, <clears throat> Mr. Higgins, Mr. Higgins, we're not trying to hear all that. That's what they would say. We're not trying to hear all that. And it was fair. I mean, I was super annoying sometimes, right? So, like, over the top, you can picture, like, Susie, you got to work on this study guide for tomorrow's test. If you get a good grade on this test, you get a good grade in the class. Good grade in the class, you can get a good GPA. Good GPA, you get into a good college. Good college, you get a good job. Good job, you set yourself up for life. It starts with this, the study guide for tomorrow's test. <laughs> Meanwhile, Susie's sitting there just shaking her head the whole time. It's 8.30 a.m. I'm not trying to hear all that. And I'm realizing as somebody who is getting old, that part of getting old is that you say more and more things that nobody is trying to hear, <laughs> so to speak, but you say them anyway, right? All of a sudden, I'm fascinated about all this AI and want to talk to somebody about how revolutionary it is for our world. It turns out Sarah's not trying to hear me go on and on about that. I give my kids great lectures on what I think are, uh, what I think are great lectures on thoughtfully saving their birthday money on how 10,000 hours of practice makes you an expert at anything, on how reading great books can give you an advantage over everybody else. They're not trying to hear all that. And listen, I get it, right? I know the feeling. I'm not trying to hear that the frying pan needs to be rewashed after I just scrubbed it for 10 minutes, right? All of us, all of us have some things in that category. I'm not trying to hear that. Jesus said some things that people were not trying to hear. For example, anybody know what Jesus' message was when he first started to travel around teaching in public? He'd go from town to town saying the same thing. What was it? Two parts, yeah, repent and believe. Yep, repent and believe. Mark 1.15 tells us that, right? In other words, turn from your sin, that's what it means to repent, and believe in me, right? That's pretty blunt, pretty direct. And while some who heard those words immediately knew this is the message I was made for, others, plenty of others who heard it, were not trying to hear that. Chapters 2 and 3 of Mark's gospel give us examples of people who were not trying to hear that. Sure, some believe and follow Jesus in the early days of Jesus' ministry, but the scribes, they were not trying to hear that. The Pharisees, no. Jesus' own family, look, even Jesus' own family has said at this point in Mark 2 and 3, we're not trying to hear all that, Jesus. You're doing too much. You're getting carried away. Tone it down. They have, to some degree, rejected his word. They said he's out of his mind. And so because of the existence of these two categories of hearers, those who wanted to hear and those who didn't want to hear, Jesus employs a teaching strategy called a parable. Parable is a figure of speech that employs comparison. Right? Relating this that we understand to that that we maybe don't understand so well. And Jesus told a lot of parables. But here at North Sub, we're going to be spending the summer looking at 14 of them that we think are particularly applicable for this moment in the life of our congregation. So with that in mind, would you turn with me to Mark chapter 4 now? Mark chapter 4. Grab a Bible in the seat in front of you, Bible app however you want to look at it. We start today in Mark 4 because there in Mark 4, we find the parable about parables. This is the parable in which Jesus explains why he tells parables in the first place. In which he explains what the point of parables is and in which he does so using a parable that itself 
helps us understand what parables in general are meant to do. So if you're somebody who likes layers, if Inception is your favorite movie, you're going to appreciate this particular parable today. Take a look with me at the structure of this passage. Jesus first tells the parable without explanation. Then he talks about why he uses parables in general. Then he circles back around to explain the parable that he told at the outset. Right, so, see, so the third part mirrors the first part, in other words. Uh, while together they point our attention to the main message being communicated in the second part, right, at the center of the passage, namely why Jesus speaks in parables. Right? So we're going to attack this today in order, as Mark tells it, keeping in mind that it's all going to tie together at the end. So first, the parable. Parable, if you look, you see we've got four profiles here of different sorts of soils. Follow along with me as I read verses 1 through 9 of Mark chapter 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore. He taught them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Notice, there's a large crowd around Jesus. So despite all who have rejected him in the previous couple chapters, there's still plenty who are intrigued by what he's saying about God's kingdom. He taught them many things in parables. This one starts with, listen. Which will actually be a key theme in the explanation of the parable itself. Uh, how we listen and what happens when we listen. And he reinforces that theme by how he concludes that, the parable in verse 9. Do you notice this at the end? He started with listen, ends with let anyone who has ears to hear listen. He's flagging it for us at the front end and back end that listening is what this is all about. So let's listen well, right? Let's get our bearings on the parable itself. We've got a sower with a sack or pouch full of seed. And he's spreading the seed all around, same sower, same seed, but four different soils. And that leads to four different results, right? First, some seed falls along the path. Soil on the path is impenetrable, so the seed can't sink down in, birds come and eat it up. Second, same sower, same batch of seed, some seed falls on rocky ground. There's some loose soil here, so the seed's able to penetrate down a little ways, deep enough to germinate, growth starts to happen. So we might think, okay, this one's got a chance. But it can't sink its roots down deep because of how many rocks there are, and so it's not resilient. A hot, sunny day, enough to wither it. Third soil. Again, same sower, same seed. This seed falls among thorns. And again, there's soil there, so it can grow and does start to grow, but there's only so many nutrients to go around. So these thorns have a head start on the seed, and as it grows up, they choke it out. They take away the nourishment the seed would need to grow up and produce fruit. And that leaves the fourth soil as the only one that ends up producing fruit. At risk of beating a dead horse, the difference isn't the sower's technique, 
It isn't the quality of seed. The difference is that this portion of the seed falls on good soil, without thorns, without rocks, without hard ground. And so not only does it grow unhindered, but it does what it's meant to do. It produces an abundant harvest. So that's the story, right? That's the parable. Jesus is like, if you've got ears on the sides of your head, listen to this. But so far, so agricultural, right? Surely Jesus isn't just trying to help us grow better gardens this summer. It's a parable. So what's being compared? What does he mean by telling this story? Well, if we were to peek ahead for a moment to verse 10, when Jesus is about to get alone with his inner circle, they've got questions that go beyond this parable. They're wondering why he teaches in parables in general. Why talk in symbols, Jesus, and risk leaving your meaning unclear to us who are hearing you? So before explaining this particular parable, he's going to explain why he teaches in parables in general. So let's go there. Take a look. Verses 10 to 13, why parables? Follow along with me as I read. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. He answered them. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those outside, everything comes in parables so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive. They may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. And he said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Did you catch that at the end? Jesus questions the likelihood that we will understand the rest of the parables unless we understand this one. And that's why we're starting our parable series with this one. Jesus seems to see this one as the one that unlocks the ability to understand all the others. In other words, there's something embedded in this particular parable that teaches us the nature of what Jesus is trying to do in his teaching ministry in general. So what Jesus says here is not that, well, people connect with stories, so that's why I tell stories. It's not, hey, life is lived in shades of gray, so that's why I share stories. It could have lots of different meanings instead of being black and white. No, no, he tells us why he uses parables. What does he say? Do you see it? He says effectively that parables have a way of sorting people out. Look at the inside-outside language, right? To you, to those outside. Two groups. And the parables will work differently in the hearts of the two groups. Same parable, two functions. For some people, when they hear a parable, they get the secret of the kingdom of God revealed to them. And secret is a good translation for that word, because just about every time that that word is used in the New Testament, it's talking not about mysteries that we can never understand, but rather about things that were once hidden that later get revealed. Which raises the question, what previously mysterious secrets are now getting revealed through the teaching of Jesus? And what Jesus almost certainly means is all of what the Hebrew Bible said, our Old Testament about the kingdom of God, that's what's being revealed now in the teaching ministry of Jesus. It was all there in our Old Testament all along. If you look through Jesus' New Testament teaching, he's rarely starting from scratch. He's constantly referring to the Old Testament. But there's plenty that, despite being there in the Hebrew Bible all along, remained confusing to us. It was hidden. Like, you know, when you're looking at a picture that makes no sense until you put on the 3D glasses, and then you can see what was there all along. That's what Jesus did with the Hebrew Bible time and time again. After hearing Jesus teach, we say, oh, 
That's what the sacrificial system was supposed to show us. That's why the temple was important. That's why priests matter. Oh, and that's why there's a priesthood from Aaron's line and another one from Melchizedek's line. Oh, that's why God made those promises to King David. Oh, that's why the scapegoat was sent into the wilderness, on and on and on. So for this first group of people, when they heard Jesus teach, like when he shared a parable, they're like, this is incredible. This is what I was made for, right? My heart is racing like a thousand miles an hour in my chest because what used to confuse me is now all coming together. What's being said by this man Jesus is lighting a fire in me. That's one of the functions of a parable. For others, the secret of the kingdom of God apparently remains a mystery, right? Hidden. And these parables actually help to keep it that way. Look at Jesus' language. Everything comes in parables so that. So that what? So they may indeed look and yet not perceive. So that they may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise they may turn back and be forgiven. The parables help to produce this outcome. Quoted in verse 12. Now that's a quote from Isaiah that Jesus is employing. Old Testament. Why would Jesus quote Isaiah here? Well, here was Isaiah's situation. In Isaiah's day, most were not trying to hear what God had to say through Isaiah. And so God responded in judgment by confirming them in their inability to hear. Specifically, first five chapters of Isaiah. <clears throat> we preached through those a couple years back. Bad news, right? Israel is in a terrible spot. Then the king dies. He had been a decent king among a hard-hearted people, so we're going from bad to worse. And then Isaiah gets, right then, gets this vision of the throne room in heaven. Right, we've preached that passage a couple times. Isaiah 6, you remember smoke, earthquakes, terrifying and awesome sights and sounds. Isaiah's wrecked because he knows he's dead for having seen God. He can't even write about what he sees of God in that moment beyond to tell us what the outer edge of God's robe is like. He stops there, right? And then God says, whom should I send? Remember this? And Isaiah's like, would it work to send me? And God's like, yes, now Here's how I'm going to send you. Check it out. This is Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. This is God speaking to Isaiah. He says, you're going to preach and preach, and nobody's going to listen to you. And they're going to get more and more hardened in their sin all along as you preach. Look at it. Go, say to these people, keep listening, but don't understand. Keep looking, but don't perceive. Make the minds of these people dull, deafen their ears, and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back, and be healed. Isaiah's like, okay, for like a year, five years? Until when, Lord? Look at God's response. Until cities lie in ruins without inhabitants, houses are without people, the land is ruined and desolate, and the Lord drives the people far away, leaving a great emptiness in the land. Though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again. And here's a little bit of hope. Like the terebinth or the oak that leaves a stump when felled, the holy seed is the stump. Later on we see the shoot that will come from Jesse from that stump. Um, but this is dire, right? Pretty dire, pretty bleak. Isaiah, go preach and nobody's going to listen to you. And you're going to further the progression that's going to lead to the complete desolation of the land. But that's the passage that Jesus decides to quote. In Mark 4, when his disciples are asking why he speaks in parables. Jesus is like, hey, remember Isaiah? 
You want to know why I speak in parables? Remember Isaiah? Remember how hardened people were back then in his day? Remember what happened when Isaiah preached to them? Nobody listened. Actually, they got more and more angry until poor Isaiah got sawed in half with a saw at the end of his life in gratitude for all the truth he preached. As Jesus adopts these words from Isaiah and says it applies to his own situation, then the implication is that God's up to something like that again now. Some people are not trying to hear God's message as given through Jesus. We saw example after example of rejection in chapters 2 and 3 of Mark's gospel. Jesus' message is repent and believe, turn back from your sin and trust in me. But just like when Isaiah said that, the turn back part is not what people want to hear. Jesus says in John 8, 45, it's because I tell the truth that you don't believe me. It was the same in Isaiah's day, right? So now, because these people have chosen to be so opposed to the message, God is going to judge those people by confirming them in their inability to hear. So far, they've been unwilling to hear. Soon, they're going to be unable to hear. The turning back now won't even be possible without a miracle. And as a general trend, and there may be something in this for us in our own circumstances, the more hardened people are, the more enigmatically Jesus speaks to them. When he employs a parable, instead of saying certain things more plainly like he could have, his opponents, they can't quite get the smoking gun that they're looking for to bury him, right? So it's a shrewd move by Jesus in that sense, but it also produces the effect that they walk away even angrier at him than they were before. Even more set on rejecting his message. See? This is a key principle to understand about how the world works. It shows up in Psalm 115. Those who worship idols will become like them. Just as unhearing and unfeeling as a block of stone, right? Idols are silver and gold. They have mouths they can't speak. They have ears they can't hear. Noses they can't smell. They have hands can't feel. Feet can't walk. They can't make a sound with their throats. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. Right? In the New Testament, Paul says something similar. He says that as we spread God's message, we'll be to some people the fragrance from life to life, and we'll be to other people the fragrance from death to death. Life leading to life, death leading to death. In other words, it's not just that our message will be received differently by different individuals, so that's true. It's saying more than that. It's saying that our message actually will propel those individuals further along their respective trajectories. Sorting them out into those who increasingly embrace the message and those who are increasingly hostile to the message. That's what preaching the truth will do. And when people encounter God's word, over time it will have the effect of doing this. And ultimately, that's the form that God's wrath most often takes. As we've said before, right? His wrath consists most often, of his giving us over to our desires, to use the language of Romans 1. He says, okay, that's what you've chosen? Then I'll let you choose that. Right? You don't want to hear? Okay, I'll give you what you wish and make it so you can't hear. In Mark 4, Jesus is saying, that's why I teach in parables. That's why. To produce that twofold effect. People who are trying to hear the message can hear it in a deep and impactful way through the parables. They're going to be able to piece together things that they were never able to piece together before. It's going to be awesome for them. It's going to be like a treasure hunt where every step of the journey, the map is leading them to a new treasure they had never found before. That's what the parables will be to them. But people who aren't trying to hear the message 
will reject it even more vigorously than they had previously. They'll say, see, I knew I didn't want to hear this guy. He won't say what he means. He's talking about seeds and lamps and virgins and vineyards. All he does is tell riddles, so they'll walk away, feeling justified in the rejection of the message. And in the process, God will have given them what they wanted. They didn't want to hear, and now they can't hear. See? This is harsh, no? The contrast is stark. Jesus saying to you, to those outside. It wouldn't be unreasonable if someone were asking here this morning, well, what if I'm one of those outside and now Jesus wants to keep me outside? In response to that, we want to be very clear that there will not be anybody on the last day who is sincerely seeking to hear Jesus who will find themselves locked out of the secrets of the kingdom. There won't be. The scriptures say things like, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Seek and you shall find. Over and over again, this is emphasized. God isn't some cruel tyrant locking out sincere seekers because they weren't on the list of those predestined for a relationship with him. What he does do is to give us what we ask for. So, if we repeatedly willfully, emphatically tell him, Jesus, God, I'm not trying to hear that. He'll be patient with us, but eventually he will give us what we want. He won't force us to hear him contrary to our wills. He may eventually say, as you wish, and give us over to our refusal to hear. It's a sobering reality. It's a call for self-reflection, too, regarding what kind of hearers we presently are. This final section of the text in which Jesus explains the parable will be particularly helpful maybe in our self-reflection. Here it is, the explanation of the parable, verses 14 to 20. Follow along with me as I read. The sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. Others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with great joy. But they have no root. They're short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are like seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those like seeds sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. We find out what the seed was now. It's the word. Jesus speaks of his words like they're in the same category as the scriptures, like they function in the same way. God's word goes out. It gets spread to all different sorts of people, lands on all different sorts of hearts, and here we go, four soils. Where do we see ourselves? First was the seed on the path, remember? The one that was so hard that the birds ate the seed before it takes root. Jesus says, that represents the person who hears, but Satan comes and takes it away before it does anything in the person's heart. Our enemies at work. And some people are so hardened that it's all too easy for our enemy to capitalize. 
Second was the seed that landed on rocky ground, too shallow, the sun scorches it. Remember that one? Jesus explains that these are the folks that for a minute seem really excited about the word. Like on first look, there's a lot of energy, there's joy. Like, okay, this one's going to grow. But for example, when June rolls around and that coworker says, wait, wait, you're not one of those backward-minded Christians who believes the Bible, are you? This person's roots aren't that deep. And so the withering is immediate, right? Like, nah, 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 that's not me. Privately, the thought is something like, I'm not so serious about all this that I want to get ostracized for it. Third, the seed that landed among thorns. Remember how there's growth with this one before the thorns take away all the nutrients and choke out the plant? Jesus explains that, yes, there's part of this person that's drawn to the word, but there's so much other stuff around that gets crowded out. Like, sure, in a vacuum, I'd love to be somebody who prioritizes my spiritual life, my relationship with Jesus, but, but the worries of this age, you know? Like, I've got to set my kids up for a good life. If I don't help them maximize every opportunity, like, where are they going to end up? Worries of this age. In a vacuum, I'm intrigued by the teachings of Jesus, but wealth. I've got to devote my energy to securing my financial future. I've got to grind at work. Or desires for other things, right? Man, there's my lake house, my paddle league, my favorite NFL team. All of those require energy to maintain, upkeep, right? And at the end of the week, I feel bad, but there just isn't much left for the whole Jesus thing. It's, it's choked out. Then finally, Jesus explains the good soil, that these folks just welcome the word, right? They can last through opposition and persecution, unlike the seed that fell on rocky soil, because their roots have gone deeper. They don't get choked out by thorns, because those thorns have been eliminated from this patch of soil. They're not drawing nutrients away anymore, and as a result, here's the harvest, right? 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. This seed is the only one that does what a seed was made to do, namely, produce fruit. Same seed as the others. Same sower. The whole difference is where the seed is sown, what kind of soil it lands on, right? See? All four here, in some sense. Jesus takes pains to make it clear that all four here, in some way. But only one of the four ultimately wants to hear. The fourth group maps to those who are given the secrets of the kingdom. They're fruitful as a result. The first three maps to those outside who never really hear. They hear, but they don't really hear. In which of the four do we see ourselves this morning? Instead of a big idea today, we have a big question. Are we eager to hear what Jesus has to say to us, even when he's calling us to turn back? Remember, Jesus' fundamental message at this point is, turn back from your sin and follow me. So, are we eager to hear what Jesus has to say to us, even when he's calling us to turn back? You know, lots of people in our world like a lot of what Jesus has to say. Plenty of celebrities can quote Jesus. Many social studies teachers still dutifully share his impact on world history. Lots of folks have heard some of his teachings and have said, I could vibe with Jesus. Don't judge others. The golden rule, I like that. But 
how much of what he has to say are we really trying to hear? Because none of us naturally love all of what Jesus has to say. Sure, what he, ha- what he says is always true, always good, always morally pure. But have you ever felt like this? Like, uh, I wasn't trying to hear that today. Jesus, like, what are you doing calling me out? What are you doing bringing up the one topic that I'm not trying to hear about? Today's passage contains a warning. If we continue on this way, God might just give us what we're asking for. He might allow us to be hardened in our state of opposition toward him. Our willfully deaf ears may become calcified in their inability to hear. That's what happened to most of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Jesus kept telling parables. They kept hating him more and more the more he told. They didn't embrace the message of the parables. The parables drove them further from Jesus. But a couple of them, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, they break away from the rest of the Pharisees to really listen to Jesus. And why? Because Jesus' words had found good soil when it landed on their hearts. They found that when Jesus spoke, his words were unlocking storerooms of treasure that they had never been able to access before. And it was the same for Jesus' family, too, right? In the early chapters of Mark's gospel, they don't believe. They're hard. But their story wasn't over. Just because somebody seems like they're rocky soil or thorny soil doesn't mean that's what they are. Jesus' brother James becomes a pillar of the early church and an author of one of the books of our Bible, despite the fact that initially he seemingly didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Why? Because the word found good soil in James's heart, eventually. And just like back then, that word still calls to us today with the same fundamental message. Repent and believe. If it was just repent, that's a message of pure demand. But it's repent, believe. And that believe is an invitation to receive a gift. Not just to respond to instructions by obeying, but to, to, to embrace the news of something that's been done for us. And good news it is that the one who calls us to repentance, the one who tells us to turn back, is not the great barker of commands, but rather is the one who has died in our place. When we wouldn't repent, when we wouldn't turn to him, when we weren't trying to hear any of what he said that didn't affirm our previously held beliefs, he still loved us so much that he stepped in for us and paid the debt we deserve to pay, dying the death we should have died. News that good. Who's not trying to hear that? Well, actually, many of us weren't trying to hear that at one point or another, if we're honest. It isn't always easy to receive a gift. After all, if I accept that somebody died for me, now I maybe start to feel some measure of unwanted obligation to him. Now I maybe start to recognize that he deserves to call the shots in my life. So part of me doesn't want to hear about somebody who died for me. That's why some here maybe have continued trying to go it alone without Jesus in an effort to remain captain of your own ship. But then God's spirit in his love sometimes breaks through that resistance. Clears away the rocks and thorns. Some of us have experienced this. Breaks the hardened stony ground such that we're transformed into good soil now. It's ready to receive even the words of Jesus that make us uncomfortable. If you want that, he'll do it for you. He will. All you have to do is ask. Anyone who calls on his name in sincerity will be saved. Will, have re- will be revealed to have been good soil on that last day. In other words, the fact 
that your heart is soft enough this morning to be able to call out to him is evidence that he's already been at work in you, preparing the soil of your heart to receive the seed of his word. Won't you ask him to help you hear? Let's pray. God, that's our prayer. Help us hear. And we mean like really hear, not just for the words to go in one ear and out the other, but to, to, to listen and embrace it. Even the hard parts, even the parts that we initially feel resistance towards, especially in those, God, make us the sort of people who can hear it. Till that soil in our hearts, break up the rocks, pull up the thorns in such a way that when your word falls on our hearts, on Sunday mornings at church, through our friends and family members who share your good news with us, through Bible studies, in small group settings, whenever the word, in our private devotional reading, whenever we encounter your word, God, help it to find good soil such that it bears fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. We want to be those sorts of people. We need your help to do it. Break up the hardened stony ground in Jesus' name. Amen.